<laughs> yeah, and I don't think so. All right. Let's get rolling. So I'm excited about today. Now, I wanna, I'm going to lead into this, but I'm going to turn this over to Jim here shortly. He's going to share, Paul, you can't leave. <laughs> Paul always gives Jim a hard time. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We've been talking about this identity crisis we have in the church. And where we've been leading is we need to understand something. We, as the church have an expectation by God to lead by example in the supernatural. What does that mean? That means that we recognize where we are and who we are in Christ and take our place on this earth. When we look at Romans chapter 8, verse 6, it says to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So what does that mean? Carnally minded is not moral or immoral. It is Am I thinking as God would have me think? Am I believing as God would have me believe? Am I saying as God would have me say? Or am I acting just like the world? So, as an example, you keep seeing this stuff, and I don't like this stuff, but I'm going to give you this example. Do you know how many times it says in the Bible, fear not? It's 365. What a coincidence, one for each day of the year. The problem was that the Bible was written, it was a 360-day year, that doesn't matter, we'll throw that out. It really, it preaches really good. But there's a point to be made there. Should we fear? The answer is no. What should we fear? The answer is nothing. Why do we fear? Because we don't think spiritually. We think carnally. So when you're watching the news and you see that the economy is going in the toilet, what do we begin to do? We begin to panic. But should we? The answer is no. Why? God should be our source. Then no matter what happens, does that mean that you'll still own three cars and a boat? Maybe not. What does that have to do with anything? You see, we have Americanized the gospel and the scriptures to make it fit a narrative of prosperity and wealth. Prosperity and wealth means something different here than it does in most of the world. We were talking about El Salvador there. One with you, I was talking to somebody about it, but it's like when you go to these other places, you realize how good you got it. When you're not eating rice and beans every day and thankful to have it. When you can go anywhere and buy anything and, and do anything you want. You, if you own a car, you're richer than 48% of the world. That's crazy to think about. It doesn't matter how big of a jalopy it is. You are richer than 48% of the world. You see, we should not fear anything. We should not fear sickness, death. We should not fear financial crisis. We should not fear the things of war. Why did Jesus warn his apostles? When you see these things, be prepared. Why? Don't be afraid of them. Just be smart. Be prepared for them. Be ready to go. So the difference is, is that we are having an expectation from God is to not think carnally, but to our worldview from Scripture, which is part of what we're going to be talking about after service today in this foundations class. That's not a sales pitch. It just fits in really nicely. Then 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I always start in verse 1. Let's just jump down uh, to verse 3. It says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We know all these verses. We do some of these verses. We know them all. It's like knowing the right thing to do. It's like your children, as an example. They know right and they know wrong, and they often choose wrong. I don't know why. I'm sure I did it too. I doubt it, actually. I was a perfect child. But my children did not pick up that baton and carry it on. And so it's like, why do you do this? My son is an example, who's not in here, so I'll use him as an example. When he gets tired, he has a tendency to just melt down over the stupidest thing. And I mean stupid. And I have told him time and time again, if you'll just stop and go lay down for 20 minutes, it's like a whole new child, Right? It's like the Snickers commercial, hungry, you know, except it's sleepy. And when he does it, he wakes up, a whole new child. But what does he fight? That 20-minute nap. We as adults know, number one, there ain't nothing that's going to happen in 20 minutes that is worth staying awake for. And the other side is, we know the value of a good nap. It's the things you appreciate as you get older. But he fights it. And it's like, okay... If you would just do this, knowing the right thing to do. You could put it on the flip side. We all know we don't need those donuts. We all know they taste good. They're wonderful. They are gifts from God, but we don't need them. We'd survive without them. You see, we make decisions every day based off of what feels good in the moment. We are driven by feelings. And because we allow our feelings to drive us, we lose sight of the scripture. When it talks about the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God. What else do you need? 
They're mighty in God, not you. Not your ability to convey them, not your ability to stand them. They are mighty in God. And what do they do? They pull down strongholds, cast down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And then your responsibility, you take every thought captive. But we don't. We know it. We know we should, but we don't. Ephesians 6, verse 11 says to put on the whole armor of God that you be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Why do we do that? Because he's coming and he's attacking. And this is the part I've, I've hammered home and I want you to get, is that he's not attacking believers. He's attacking everybody. Everybody is susceptible to the attack of the enemy. He's going to come in there. He's going to throw that rock over and over and over again until he can break through. That is what the methodos means. doesn't matter who it is. The believer has the ability to withstand it, to overcome it, to put on the whole armor of God. Who puts it on? Does God wake you up in the morning? All right, okay, Junior, let's get dressed. No, it is your responsibility. It is your responsibility to take that thought captive. But we don't. The reason we don't is because we want to ignore the supernatural side of things. And what I've tried to get everybody to understand is that the supernatural world is very real, is very prevalent, and it is impacting the world around you right now. It might be in your home life, it might be in your work life, it definitely in our country and, and around the world. There are things that happen that make no sense outside of something supernatural. Now, the world will go towards everything but God when it comes to supernatural. They are looking, they are craving the supernatural. They're looking for explanations that are bigger than themselves, but yet God can't be it. Did anybody ever see the, uh, the movie called, uh, it was by Ben Stein, it was Expelled No Intelligence Allowed? Anybody see that? I know some of you. Okay, all right. In this movie, uh, Ben Stein, who is, not, is about the most dry person you'd, probably ever meet, but he's occasionally funny. But he's interviewing all these atheist professors, Richard Dawkins being one of them. Um, if you don't know who he is, we'll talk later. But bottom line, he's giving him, he's talking to him about God. And he says, it's impossible that God has created everything. It's impossible. God does not exist. And later in this conversation, they start talking about these different theories. And one theory is it is possible, because they don't have an explanation how life started, is that aliens came down and seeded life on earth. A more evolved creature came here, seeded life on earth, and that is why we started, life started on this planet. Now, what evidence does he have to believe that? The answer is none. What he knows is that life does not come from non-life. So he has to come up with an explanation. So his explanation is some other life created this life. It cannot be God. Why? Because it's not an intellectual conversation. It is a moral one. He does not want it to be God. If it is God that there are standards and standards must be kept, and if you have to keep them, then you can't do what you want. You see, this is the problem we have. They will do everything to explain away the things of God, the supernatural. Even so, down to the nefarious things that we talk about. Because I am not one that ever wants to give the devil credit for anything. I don't care what it is. But we have to deal with him. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. He's out there, he's making noise, and he's trying to bring some of us down. All of us are hearing the roar. Our responsibility is to deal with it. If we walk around fearful, we've already lost. And so it's part of a growing process, and we have to understand this. We have to understand who we are in Christ. And with all of this, as we talked about last week, is that the authority from Jesus has been given. You saw two examples where he gave it to his disciples, and then 70 others. Both of them went away, walked in. They were to preach the gospel, that the kingdom has come there. They were to heal the sick, and they were cast out demons, and all of which they did. And when the 70 came back, they were like, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And they were all surprised by that. And Jesus says, that's great. But be more excited that your name is written in heaven. You see, when a born-again believer has given their life to Christ, there is now an expectation that they grow in that. And with that comes an authority because you are no longer your own. You were dead. You are now alive. You are no longer subject to the, let's call it the dark side, unless you allow it to happen. When he's seeking whom he may devour, it could be you if you allow it. You see, the difference between a believer and an unbeliever, besides the fact that they are saved, is the fact that they have the responsibility and ability to deal with the supernatural world. The problem we have is we don't. And so what I want to do as we continue this on is I want you guys to hear some stories from people that it's not just me. I have my own personal stories and experiences, 
I have experience of people that I have talked to and have told me things through the years, and some of you may have some as well, and I'd love to hear those. But Jim is an example. Jim uh, did not grow up as a born-again Christian. Jim has since given his life to Christ, has traveled to different parts of the world doing ministry, and has seen and experienced all sorts of stuff. And they're, they're incredible stories. But what we, the main thing we've got to understand, there's two parts. The supernatural world around us is extremely real, and we have a responsibility to deal with and the ability. So, Jim, if you'll come up, and I may interject with a question or two along the way. Paul. You can even, you can even sit down. Jerry, <laughs> I've seen you giving the elbow before. Let him have it if he tries to get up. You know, I've, I've sit, I've really worked on this, trying to figure out where to start. Uh, you know, because there, there is several stories I want to share, and there are several scriptures I want to share. But I think I'm going to start off with scripture so that we kind of understand who we are in Christ to start with and, and what we have. But uh, And if you all, I guess it will be on recording, but if you all want to write down the scriptures or whatever. The first one I'm going to talk about is whenever, uh, and I'm just kind of going to lay out the picture for you, and then I'll give you the, the, the scripture out of it that I want to share with you. But the first one is whenever the Pharisees came to Jesus and they was accusing him of casting out the devil by, or Beelzebub by Beelzebub, and Jesus went on and explained to him, you know, this can't be because a house divided cannot stand, so if the devil's casting out the devil by the devil, it, it doesn't work. So as you go on through that story, he goes on and explains that, you know, whenever you, uh, whenever Jesus came, you know, the, the story talks about, you know, you can't, uh, you can't cast the strong man out of the house until you bind him up. So that means there's got to be somebody come along stronger than that strong man to bind him up. So when Jesus came back, and when Jesus did what he was supposed to do, he was that strong man that gave us the ability to bind up the devil, and he no longer is the strong man because Jesus lives within us, and we are the strong man. Jesus is the strong man, but he uses us, okay? Yeah, I just, let's do something before we start here. Uh... If y'all want to stand up for just a minute, I just I just feel like we, uh, <clears throat> you know, I know what it's like to to lose a family member and stuff, and I just want to pray for Chris and Amy and the kids here before we start. Lord, we just give you thanks this morning. Father, we thank you for Pastor. We thank you for Amy. We thank you for their kids. We thank you for her mother, father. Lord, and we just pray peace over this family right now, Father God. The peace that only you, you can you can provide, Lord God. Lord, we just uh, ask blessings upon them today. We pray that everything goes smooth in the next few days and the family is able to get together and, and share and, and rejoice in Amy's mother's uh, salvation. And Father, we just give you thanks for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so anyway... Jesus came and he bound up the strong man. So we now have authority over that strong man. So whenever it talks in this and, and talks about, uh, you know, you go out and you cast the demon out of the person and it goes off and it searches for a place to go and goes through dry lands and stuff like that. And then it, you know, and I never did really catch this until I was studying this the other day. The demon says... I'm going to go back to my house. He didn't say, I'm going to go to a house. He says, I'm going back to my house. So how does the, I mean, if we think about that, what we know is, and, and he says, I'm going to take seven others with me that are even worse than me. So there is, a, there is a level as far as demons. Some of them are worse than other demons. Uh, but he says, I'm going to bring seven back worse than me. And he says, I'm going to go back to my house. So what he's telling us is, is, the ownership of that house hasn't changed any. It's still owned by that devil that was there. It hasn't been filled with Christ. So whenever we cast demons out of somebody, we need to make sure that the ownership of that house changes so that that devil can't come back to that house. Because he's looking for a place to enter, and he knows that house, and my goodness, it's slept clean, and it's, all put in order and everything, and he's really got it made then. 
You know, so also it must mean that he has had ownership of that house for quite some time, probably. You know, uh, and so it just, it's kind of strange. You know, I went, Pastor Chris and I was talking this morning, you know, I remember back when I was a little kid, and I can't tell you how little I was, but I remember constant at nighttime, like when I was sleeping and things like that. I, I mean, I can remember constantly things coming to me in the night, telling me things like, you know, by the time you're 40, you're going to die. Uh, you know, you aren't any good. Uh, you know, things like that. So even as a little child, I was being tormented by demonic things. I don't know. You know, I asked Chris, I said, why, you know, why does this happen to some kids and maybe other kids that don't? And I don't think there's really any explanation for it. I mean, I don't know of anything traumatic as a child that happened to me that caused this. Uh, all I know is that it happens and it went on throughout most all of my life. Uh, so anyway, and I'm going to go back to, uh, I, wanna, I still want to lay a groundwork here a little bit. You know, in, in Acts chapter 10, it says, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, who was anointed by the Holy Spirit and by power, went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And the last part of that says is because God was with him. Because God was with him. He was able to do all these things because God was with him. And if we look over in, in John chapter 14, I believe it is, where uh, Jesus goes through and he's saying, you know, believe in me and the things that I do. And, and uh, you know, it goes on to say that, you know, I will live in you and you will live in me and God will live in us. So we know that also that if we are born again Christians, that God lives within us. So God is with us. So we have that same authority over them demons that Jesus had is because God is with us. So anyway, uh, go on with my life a little bit. Give you a, a lay a little groundwork there as to how some of this stuff all happened. But anyway, as I grew up, um, these things kept happening to me, which I never really shared any of it with anybody. But I mean, I was every night I was tormented by something. You know, and, and it was all kinds of different things. I can't say it looked like this, it looked like that, it looked like this, because it was different in, in my life every time one of them would come to me. But they would come every night, it seemed like, just almost every night, and torment me. And so finally, I don't know, by the time I was 18, 19, 20 years old, I, I never... I never drank when I was in high school or any of that stuff, but by the time I was 18, 19, 20 years old, I discovered that if I drank enough at night, I could pass out and I didn't have these things come to me. And that happened fairly good for a period of time, and then it got worse. They started coming to me, and I'm, I'm serious, as, and unfortunately my wife's not here today, but she could testify of it. I mean, in the middle of the night, they would drag me out of bed and I'd find myself crawling around on the floor and stuff. I don't know whether she ever remembers me being drug out of bed, but she remembers seeing me crawling around on the floor and stuff. Uh, I mean, it was, I don't know how to explain it. It was absolutely horrible. Sometimes, and you know, whenever I was talking about, you know, there being different stages of, or different evilness in, in the demons, some of them that I saw or so-so, but some of them I knew when they came into the room, it wasn't going to be good. Uh, you know, the, the, the fear that came within me was a lot worse than what it was nor ordinarily. So I knew that they walked in a greater uh, evilness than the other ones did. So anyway, as most some of you have heard my story, but anyway... One morning, I don't remember it well, I do remember it was October 13th, 1981. Uh, I, my alarm went off in the morning. My wife was already up in the kitchen and she was 
fixing breakfast and fixing my lunch because I worked for the railroad at the time. And uh, when I sat up on the edge of my bed, all of something there was just like an awesome presence that filled my bedroom. And uh, I sat up on the edge of the bed and I don't think whatever it was that was in there was talking to me, but I could understand what it was saying if that makes sense. I don't remember any verbal communication, but evidently I was talking because my wife could hear me talking. Because she said she'd come back into the bedroom and tried to open the bedroom door and she couldn't get the door to open. But anyway, what, you know, I don't know, I can't say whether Jesus, can't say whether it's the Holy Spirit, but at that moment in time in my life, I knew that things had, well, basically, you know, the, the spirit that was there with me told me that, you know, and whether it had anything to do with that evil spirit 40 years ago telling me that I was going to die at the age of 40 or whatever, I don't know. But anyway, that spirit that came in there told me that, you know, I was going to die if I did not accept Christ as my Savior. So anyway, I got on the floor in the bedroom this morning, and I accepted Christ as my Savior. And I knew when I walked out of that bedroom door that morning I absolutely knew that I would not have to drink again. I knew it. I mean, it was just a knower in my knowing that I knew that I would not. Now, was my life totally cleaned up? No. But I, I knew that I would not have to drink again because that was, I seen that as my largest problem, that I had a spirit. See, I think there's three types of alcoholics. One of them is a, a spiritual, uh, as a demonic spirit. One of them is a physical uh addiction to alcohol and the other is a mental addiction to alcohol which the spiritual one's the easiest one to deal with because once you cast the demon out you don't have that problem anymore uh, the others you still have to work through the emotional and the physical uh, you know to get them off of it anyway I can remember walking out of the bedroom that morning and knowing I'm not going to have to drink again I talked to my wife and I said you know this is what happened I says, I don't know where to go from here. You know, I don't know what to do. So her dad had been in AA for a long time, so he, she suggested that we get a hold of somebody from AA and talk to them. And, and uh, so we did that, and I started going to AA meetings, but I just never really felt comfortable because, you know, they was always talking about, you know, your... You have to battle this the rest of your life, you know. And I wasn't battling this the rest of my life because God had taken it away from me. Now, unfortunately, I still smoked. I still chewed, uh, gambled a little bit. I, I, You know, my life wasn't perfect by all means. And I think sometimes that's where, you know, it talks about that, that he went back to his house and he found it swept clean and everything. And, you know, the presence of that person was worse than the other because it wasn't filled up. See, we asked Jesus in our heart, our spirit man can no longer be attacked by the devil, I don't think. I mean, we have, but I think our mind and stuff, you know, is still we have to fill up. And the filling up that it's talking about, if we don't put the word of God within us, then that devil still has the right to come in and take over different areas of our life. And as I got to reading the word and studying the word and, and grew in my faith, I realized that smoking wasn't good. I realized that chewing wasn't good. You know, I, I realized that gambling wasn't good. So I give all those things up, too, because of what the Word of God was saying to me. You know, it was gradually cleaning things out of my wife. It took a lot while for those things to happen. But I do remember that once in a while, I was still experiencing low-level visitations if you want to call them low-level. But I still remember experiencing low-level visitations. And I thought to myself, you know, the Bible says that God is with me. And, you know, in, in Acts, you know, it says that, you know, he had authority over them demons because God was with me. So the demons that was still encountering my life once in a while, I finally decided, well, you know, if God is with me, I can take authority over these demons, and they can no longer come in and torment me. So I just bound every demon that ever tried to come into my life again and told them that they wasn't welcome there. 
and uh, it eliminated all that stuff. Uh, I did probably about, I won't guess it was seven or eight years ago, one night I experienced a present come into my bedroom and I said, oh no, you can't come in here anymore. And I said, in Jesus' name, you've got to get out of here. And it turned around and left. Uh, and that's the only time since then that I, I've been bothered by that. So anyway, what I want to... The spiritual world is very... Like Pastor says, the spiritual world is very real. I don't want to really focus on the devil. I'd rather focus on Christ. But we got to understand that the devil is alive and well out there right now. But the important thing is Jesus has come. And we do have authority over that strong man anymore. You know, uh, and I've shared this story several times with you about the gentleman in El Salvador that they brought him to one of our meetings one night at church. See, I used to work a lot with alcoholics. I used to go to the uh, treatment centers and, and talk to alcoholics at treatment centers. I was a member of the Nebraska Alcohol Advisory Council. And... Of course, I always ministered to them. You know, you go to the treatment centers, they basically want you to convince them that, you know, this is a lifetime battle and, you know, you're going to be in a lifetime struggle. If you ever need help, come back to the treatment center, we'll help you. Well, I went there and I said, hey, you can be set free from this. You don't have to battle this the rest of your life. And, uh, you know, at the at the state level, I would go talk to the meetings there and tell them that, you know, there is a way out of this thing we need to start teaching people about that before long i was no longer on the alcohol advisory council anymore and i was no longer invited to go into the treatment centers anymore uh, because things were happening scott's bluff had one of the best success races as far as people going into the treatment center and coming out and staying out that there was in the state of nebraska at the time it wasn't because of me it's because of god but i was willing to preach him at those treatment centers so, anyway, our, our world is a very real world as far as it goes. And anyway, you know, I was explaining to you about the guy in El Salvador, but anyway, you know, they brought him to the church meeting one night in a wheelbarrow, and he was drunk, and he was, you know, the guy that passes out in the gutters on the streets, and the dog kids throw rocks at him, and the dogs come guy and pee on him, and, you know, he was just a terrible mess. And they brought him to the church service that night in a wheelbarrow, and, at the end of the service, I asked if uh, anybody needed prayer, so they wheeled him up to the front of the church in the wheelbarrow. And they stood him up, and I started praying for him. And he just started, you know, whenever you read about the, the story about the little kid in the Bible that his father had come to the disciples and asked him to cast the demon out, and they couldn't do it. And so finally Jesus ended up doing it, but, you know, it, it cast him, you know, it said it threw him into a convulsions and, and he ended up laying there like he was dead. Well, this guy just started hollering, screaming, and flailing his arms everywhere whenever we started praying for him. And then he finally collapsed to the floor. And I and there's two things I'll tell you about this. I don't know for sure which happened. But anyway, I didn't feel like the battle was over with. So I just kept praying for him. And then he raised up again, and he started wailing his arms and casting around and screaming and hollering and Actually, at one point in time, he didn't know any English at all. And he looked up at me and he says, who in the are you anyway? And I said, well, it really don't matter who I am. I'm here in the name of Jesus and you have to come out of this guy. And uh, thank goodness it wasn't like the seven sons of Stephen. He beat me up and cast me out in the street. <laughs> the name of Jesus, he understood. So anyway... Uh, one more time that happened, and the third time when he collapsed to the floor, he just laid there. And I really felt like, you know, it was over with. And so we prayed for some more people, and, and at the end of the service, uh, they had taken him back and set him in a chair by the door as you're going out. And at the end of the service, when I walked out the deal, he stood up and gave me a big hug and smiles from ear to ear. And... Uh, Alma talked to him. I couldn't talk to him because all he could talk was Spanish. But anyway, he was just so elated at what had happened. Of course, the next day we was building a house, and he came out and helped us build this, you know, carry the cement and the rock and everything up to help build this house. And from that day on, every time we was down there working, 
uh, you know, that's that time down there. He was there helping us. And now he has a ministry, and he goes up into the mountains and helps build churches and and stuff like that up there. He's a woodworker, so he makes all the woodworking and everything for his churches. He doesn't get paid for it or anything. He just does it. Uh, he has a farm. His parents left him a farm, which we knew his parents before we knew him. But, and I'm I'm absolutely serious. He has lemons, I mean uh, limes, not lemons, but limes that are this big around. I mean, they're absolutely monstrous. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, you know, he raises beans and and corn and stuff like that there. And like if somebody in the community dies and they can't afford a coffin, he'll make a coffin for them because he does woodworking and stuff. I mean, this is how God changes your life when he comes into your life. I mean, everybody's seen this guy as a worthless bum laying on the street corner for all these years. And now he's uh, uh, kind of a pillar of the community, which people have to talk about it, you know. And, you know, like the, the guy in the tombs, they were scared to death of him whenever he became in his right mind. They, they could put up with him when he was crazy, but when he got into his right mind, they had a hard time figuring it out. But it said the story went around, so everybody knew about it. Uh, in, uh, you know, Mark chapter 16, it says, you know, uh, these signs shall follow those that believe. You know, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. If they drink anything deadly, it shall not harm them. Uh, you know, but the very first thing it says, they cast out demons. You know, there's a lot of Jesus' ministry that by casting out demons, healing took place. Uh, you know, and I can see that a lot over the years. Uh, I remember one time we had this uh, person, and they had a they had a child that was, I, I could just sense it was a demonic, he was demonically possessed, uh, which I went up to him and and I said, you know, I, I, we can deal with that spirit within that child. And they said, well, we've learned how to live with him the way he is. And we're afraid if you cast the demon out of him, seven more will come back and he'll be worse than what he was. Uh, so they was willing to, to put up with that demon that was in him now because they'd learned how to live with it. You know, there's a lot of, I really believe that there's a lot of, uh, mental illnesses, uh, addictions, and stuff like that that are demonically uh, stimulated that, you know, we give them drugs and medicine and things like that to help them get over those things uh, whenever we should be ministering to them. We as Christians really don't, we as Christians really don't deal with demons anymore to speak of uh, I don't know whether we're scared we're going to offend somebody if we feel like you know we go up to them and say hey I think there's a demon influence in your life or something uh, you know and I know that like Neil has kind of got an ability sometime to see demons after his incident transpired you know, and I think we as as Christians really need to um, not give the devil his due, but give ourselves our due and, and start dealing with things like this. Because the spiritual world we deal with is unbelievable. You know, I know that that also, you know, when I got born again, I got born again in 1981 and 1987, I was baptized in the Holy Ghost and my life changed again. There's a definite difference. I can't tell you why God set it up that way, and it's not my business, but, you know, he talks about being baptized in the Holy Ghost and speaking in new tongues and all that. And I know that there's a, a uh, power that comes up on you whenever you are baptized, filled and baptized in the Holy Ghost, too, that gives you much more ability than what you have just been born again. Born again is a fabulous thing, like Pastor Chris was saying. Rejoice that your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life because that's what we ought to really be happy about. But we ought to be here on this earth doing our job while we're here. Amen. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to take up all 
Pastor Chris's time. I can't. I'm, I've been trying to relate other. You know, I, I know that my wife, you know, because of things that happened to her whenever she was a child, you know, because she lived with her grandparents. She didn't really know her parents. She lived with her grandparents. She lived with her mother. She lived with her father. She went back and lived with her mother. She went back and lived with her father. I mean, turmoil was in her life all the time, and she had a real tough time uh, with relationships. And finally, about seven, eight years ago, her and I went down to the lake and spent five days down to the lake, and we just spent time praying and everything else. And, and while we was there, the Lord impressed upon me that she needed to forgive everybody in her life that caused her harm, which she got really angry about having to do that but she accepted what the Lord had told me in that thing and she forgave everybody in her life that had caused her harm and it, it released her from a lot of oppression that the devil had put up on her too uh, you know so we don't realize just how much we don't realize just how much the spiritual world has a play in our life you know, even myself, having gone through all this, until it actually started changing, I didn't realize how much the spiritual world had a play in my life. And, boy, I'm so much happier now with Jesus in my life than I was with them demons in my life. <laughs> Amen. Uh, anyway, I'll turn it back over to Chris, or if anybody's got any questions. If anybody feels like they need prayed for today after the service, we want to do that too. Uh, yeah. You know, studying and learning about the Bible don't do any good unless you put it into practice. It into practice. So, yeah. You know, and I, I was telling Chris earlier, I said, you know, I used to really be able to sense the, the demon of alcoholism because I was working with it all the time. I'd, I'd never seen demons uh, when I was doing that stuff, but I could sense the demonic oppression or control in a person's life because I was dealing with it all the time. I said, I don't, I don't sense that the way I used to because of... So our, our spiritual senses has a lot to do with our spiritual work, too. So we need to spend more time doing what we need to do. Yep, exactly. So you think about carnally minded versus spiritually minded. Thank you, Jim, for sharing. I really appreciate that. I wanted you guys to hear from him. I mean, not only, obviously, his personal testimony, but... And he could go on and on and on about different things that he's experienced as a minister, you know, going to different parts of the world and seeing stuff like that. But you've got to keep in mind, it's this carnal mind versus spiritual mind. I mean, what did he talk about? Supernaturally set free from alcoholism because he gave his life to Christ. Now, he was talking earlier today that he grew up going to church. You're in church every Sunday. 1981, he gave his life to Christ. Now, what does that tell us? We have a problem. Is that fair? And I would assume that you never heard anything about deliverance ministries or anything like that growing up, you know, going to church. Because a lot of us grew up in church, but that doesn't mean that the church in itself was in us. In other words, what we are supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to be doing it. And so with that, it's like carnally minded, spiritually minded, supernaturally set free from alcoholism because it was a demonic thing that was going on there. As he said, is that the case every time? No, it's not. But it is sometimes. No question about it. Because you can't take somebody and just watch them in an instant give something up. There's a, a mental and a physical addiction there most of the time. So there's something supernatural there. But what is the solution adopted by the world and the church? Well, you need to go to counseling. You're always going to struggle with this and stuff. That is not true. Now, sometimes that might be true. But we don't have to live there. But that is what we've accepted. We've accepted this carnal mindset of how we deal with these issues instead of being spiritually minded he was being spiritually minded and at first didn't even know it he just was i mean you know it's easy to look back and say oh this is what took place and all of that when you're living it out and he you know he probably didn't know scripture very well or you know when you walked out into the kitchen with your wife you're like i don't know what i'm supposed to do now but uh a i guess we'll give it a shot right it's the only thing that we were familiar with now on the flip side of that as a result of what's had taken place Jim has been a beacon of light to where when somebody is sick, dying, whatever the case may be, they bring them to Jim. Because you know what Jim does? Jim prays for people. Jim's seen people healed. So that's, that's one of those things where it's like we have to be spiritually minded. So he talked about the discernment. 
that is a very real, real thing. I mean, sometimes people see things. I have never seen things. I have seen people controlled by things, but I haven't seen the thing itself. And I'm just being honest. I'm okay with that. doesn't bother me. But many times I am able to pick up on something that is going on that is just more than someone's having a bad day. There's something supernatural going on behind the scenes there. I may not always know what, and I may not always know why. But I want to read to you from Hebrews 5. Okay, If you've got your Bible, I know I put everything up on the screen, but I wasn't going there today, but Jim brought this to my mind. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Now, let's stop. We think of first principles and milk and not meat, depending on your translation, we think, well, that's just the basics of the faith. Get into what is the basics of the faith? I mean, you think about the disciples before they were filled with the Holy Spirit and the 70 before they were filled with the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus tell them to do? Go, tell the people the kingdom of God are hand, cast out demons, and heal the sick. So it seems to me as if that is some of the first principles because there is an authority given there. It's like when somebody's a cop, and it might be their first day on the job. The authority that they have in 20 years is the same authority they have day one. It doesn't grow. They might better be able to execute upon it, but it doesn't change. It's the same. So you've not, you come to need milk and not solid food. Verse 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belong to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. This isn't right and wrong necessarily. It's like the longer you are in the world doing this stuff, the more you begin to pick up on trends. The more you begin to pick up, you'll be able to recognize something. You're going to hear some stories from our, uh, uh, hopefully I'm trying to get him to record it. So you can say, but Raleigh Morse, our Jewish missionary, has testimonies very similar to Jim. And one of the things is because of his experience in this, he says he can walk into a room and in an instant, no, something spiritual is going on there. And he said, this is how he describes it. He said, it's like when you walk into somebody's house and they're baking brownies. It is an unmistakable smell. You know what it is. You re-. He said, the second I say, I know exactly what it is. And he's got some pretty crazy stories as both an individual believer and as a, a minister of the gospel. I mean, this goes all the way across. And that's the thing is the difference is, is that in an instant, Jim had something supernatural that came and took place and, and took all of that away from him. You never craved alcohol again. He never went back to that. He began to progress in his growth and walk with the Lord and to the point that everything in his life was transformed. But it didn't just go away. He had to walk through what we call the discipleship process, that we are now sanctified, that we are growing in our, our walk with the Lord. So let me share with you guys one more story. We're talking about spiritual things, okay? I have an adopted brother. This adopted brother has had problems with drugs and alcohol since as far back as I can remember. We got him when he was 11 years old. He and I are two months apart, okay? Two months apart. He was two grades below me. When we got him, it's a sad story. Basically, at nine months old, his mom dropped him off on his family's doorstep and left. And then when he was just, I think, 10 or just about 11, the family he grew up with, the only family he had ever known, took him to the hospital, said, you're sick, we'll be back in a week to get you, and never came back. That would cause some issues, you know. And so it was just probably two or three years ago. Now, uh, he, um, problems with drug and alcohol, staying in, out of trouble was a problem. I mean, he missed our wedding because he was in jail. Um, you know, I mean, stuff like that. And um, when Amy and I were going to school in Oklahoma, I got a call from my parents one night, and he had called my dad, and uh, he lived up in Omaha. Not my dad, but my brother. He lived up in Omaha, and he called me and said, hey, what's going on? And he said, oh, nothing. And he's like, I just want to let you know I loved you. I love you. And my dad says, is everything okay? He's like, yeah, I just want to tell you that. He's like, okay. And my dad realized something is not right. So he drove up to his house, and he was sitting out on a picnic table and smoking a cigarette. And uh, my brother looked at him and says, what are you doing here? He's like, I just thought I'd come see you. He just looked him straight in the face and said, you can't stop me. He's going to kill himself. He had all these voices in his head. We find out later that he'd smoked some marijuana that was laced with something, and it really messed him up. He spent some time in the psychiatric ward. He was diagnosed as paranoid schizophrenic. 
put him on some seriously heavy medication. In fact, shortly after that, he'd gotten out. He was staying with my parents. They brought him down to visit us. And I mean, the lights were on, but nobody was home, okay? I'm probably 19, 20 at the time. I don't remember. Um, I mean, to the point of one time we walked into, they had stayed at this hotel, and they had a pool. It was an indoor pool, but it was enclosed with glass. So we're walking through the parking lot. He was the only one in there. He's standing in the middle of the pool, and he's directing music. The problem being, there was no music. I don't know what he was doing. The lights were on, but nobody was home. And he had told me later on that he, had, he was always having these voices in his head telling him to do things and uh, to say things and to believe things. And what had happened is he kind of, they medicated him to the point that it kind of came off of this. And uh, he started getting a little bit better. And uh, I, again... 19 years old, I don't know anything about anything. I mean, I just, we're just dealing with it. And uh, he said that he was convinced that Jesus came to save white people and he was going to have to die for the black people. That's what he said. You can't get more white than he is. I mean, he's almost see-through. He's so white. And it was just, I'm like, well, why'd you believe that? He's like, I don't know. I just believed it. He would say some of the most off-the-wall stuff. It's very bizarre. So things started getting better. Um, And we're better for a long time. But he was one of those that, uh, he grew up going to the same church that I did, experienced the revivals of the 90s that were going on, the same stuff I did. But for some reason, it just never, it never clicked with him. We couldn't understand why. And for years, years and years and years, I'd share with him and I'd take opportunities and we'd go do something and I would continue to just take, you know, look for an opportunity to pivot every conversation. And we'd start talking about God and Jesus and salvation and all this other stuff. And then there was one day, and this was probably three or four years ago, something like that. There was one day, it was like, it was almost like the light turned on. It, I remember exactly what we were talking about, but I mean, it was like, I could tell something broke through. And I'm like, man, I'm like, I really feel he's going to give his life to Christ now. Finally, we're going get, to get him on the right track. And the next day, he tanked. And I mean worse than I'd ever seen him before. It went completely off the rails. Wouldn't communicate with me at all. And the Lord had given me that passage out of Mark 4, Luke 8, the parable of the soil, where the devil comes and steals the seed from his heart lest he believe and be saved. But it went greater than that. He just, he really, in his mind, just things weren't right. And I'll never forget this. This is probably a couple years ago. Um, we were sitting, it was a Wednesday night, and we're teaching on Wednesday night. And uh, we had a video going. He tries calling me three times, just boom, 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 which was odd for him. That normally isn't what he did. He would call once, and if I was busy, I would call him back later. But he just called and called and called. And so finally he texts me, and he said something to the effect. I don't remember exactly what he said. He's like, I don't know what our beef is, but I just want you to know I love you. And I'm like, I didn't know we had a beef, you know. And so we get done, and um, I call him. I'm in my office, and I call him. And I said, what's going on? And he's like, oh, nothing. You could tell he was, he was not feeling any pain. Let's put it that way. I mean, he'd been drinking and been drinking heavily, and he was just talking. And uh, he kept going in about Lucifer telling him to do stuff and just making some really off-the-wall accusations. And I just wasn't really in the mood for it that night. And um, he just constantly, you know, just kept badgering all this stuff. And I normally just let it go, brush it off. I'm not going to argue with you, but I just kept egging it on. I probably shouldn't have, but that's how I was feeling at the moment. And then he made a comment to me. And this was what was weird to me. This is what caught my attention. This is how I, I, I really believe this. this is supernatural more than it is physical. He's like, you remember that time you preached? And it goes into something that I had preached probably 10, 15 years ago. And uh, I can't remember how he worded it. He said it, it was almost verbatim of what I had said, because I remember the sermon. And um, and started arguing about it and, and stuff. I mean, just expletive after expletive. But here's the thing. He has never heard me preach. He's never been in a service that I've ever. 20 years of ministry, he's never been to one. How did he know that? Now, we still deal with this, you know. He's, he's a grown man. He's 40 years old. I mean, stuff like that. I still pray for him every day. But, I mean, again, we've got to realize something. There's a supernatural world that's out there. We've got to deal with that. Now, the appropriate way to deal with these things comes from Scripture. Carnally minded versus spiritually minded. We're very quick to turn to the carnal. We're not so quick to turn to spiritual. So I do. I want to open it up for just a minute. As Jim said, we're willing to pray for people at any point, any time. You know what I love about this church more than any church I've been a part of? 
is that y'all don't wait for altar calls. I know a lot of churches, they have lots of altar calls, but it's like I can't tell you how many times through the years I've watched somebody come in and say they weren't feeling good, and there's four people praying for them right then and there. Because the same spirit that's in me is the same spirit that's within you. It's the Holy Spirit. It's not me. I'm not special. I am not gifted or anointed, so to speak. But we want to pray for people. So, I mean, let's just stand up for a minute, and let's just open it up. And if anybody wants prayer for anything, I don't care what it is, if you want prayer, come up. I'm going to ask Jim to come up and pray for him. If anybody wants, and that, that's okay. Don't do this for my benefit, but if you have something that you want prayed for, then just come on up and let's pray about it. Let's go to the Lord and let's thank Him. But while we're waiting, if you, again, we're just going to go and let's just pray and you just come on up. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for men like Jim who's devoted their life to serve you, to be an example of how we should live, an example of how we act, an example of how we just simply believe your word knowing that it is true. And Lord, I thank you that you are moving in our lives and our hearts, that we are leaving this place different than we came, that we are not going to sit here and just live this lifestyle and go through the motions, but that you have given us every tool necessary with an expectation that we put them to work, that we don't just simply go through life and exist, but when we give our lives to you, you give us a, a job. And our job is to share that gospel, and our job is to be your light and to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit every single day, every place we go, without question. And so, Lord, we thank you. And we give you the glory. And I thank you that you are moving in this place right now. That you're moving in here. That our hearts are touched. That our lives are changed. And then we'll begin to look more and more like you. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done continue to do. Lord, we thank you that you are good. That goodness is who you are. And Lord, we glorify. Yeah, apparently, why don't you come up? Apparently, he's going to have surgery tomorrow. Tomorrow. Eight or nine in the morning. Are you fasting yet? Do you have to fast before? Perfect. Lots of pizza. Well, let's pray for her. Let's pray for Paralee. If you guys, you guys are welcome to come on up. You just reach your hands out there, but we're going to pray. Father, we just thank you for Paralee, Lord. I thank you that you are guiding the hands of the doctor. And Lord, I thank you that you are going to bring relief, bring, get rid of all the pain, all the sickness, Lord, and everything. And I think you are showing yourself real in her life, in her family's life, that there is peace, that there is no anxiety, that there is no depression, there is no nothing, Lord, but only your goodness. And so, Lord, I thank you that you're pouring yourself out on her right now. She reveals to her how good you really are. You love her and that your mercy is upon her. And Lord, I just thank you for a good report with everything. And we give you the glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. All right, guys, have a great week. Like I said, if you want to stick around, we'd appreciate it. Stick around, have pizza. We'll be over there shortly.